just type any of those terms into your favourite search engine. Mine is Google at the moment. Others are available. Welcome to Fraculous, a technology podcast for humans. Episode 327. Twitter verification, digital, detox, and is find my friends amazing or just weird. There's something with your image there, Jeff. What's that? It looks... You look, you look blue-ticked. I'm thinking of having this as a permanent watermark in the bottom right-hand corner of all my videos from now on. This is my Twitter blue tick. Last time we spoke, you were not blue-ticked. <laughs> and yeah. then in between filming and release, you were blue-ticked. Where did you get that blue tick from, Jeff? Did they send that to you? <laughs> so it was with great amusement amongst my friends that it was noticed that I, I have a blue tick. Uh, my friend Kirk... Uh, who's at KRN on Twitter, if you wish to follow him, love him, has got a 3D printer. Uh, he downloaded the Twitter API font or something. He told me he turned it into like a DXM file or something and then basically exported that into his 3D printing software and then it printed me out a 3D <laughs> Twitter blue tick, which, amusingly, if you think about it, it's not a blue tick. It's a white tick with a blue background. That so is really, true. It's a, what we've... So we've been, all this time we've been going, hey, blue tick, but it's actually a white tick. Could we get that 3D file, Jeff? Could we link to that in the show notes? If I ask Kirk, I'll send, I'll send Kirk an email and I'll get him to maybe send me the font files. So if anybody else wants to, I'll ask him what make of 3D printer he has and we'll see if we can do it. But what, what really got me, I know that last time on the podcast, I was talking about how I'd been rejected yes. for a blue tick. And I think literally the next day after we recorded the podcast, I suddenly got an email saying, you have been accepted for a blue tick. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't, I didn't resubmit. I didn't... Okay, re- you didn't resubmit. Did they listen to our recording? So I don't know what sort of doing. But then, then what I noticed is that um, more than ever, people that, who I follow now on Twitter, so many more of them have blue ticks. And it's really kind of... <laughs> I feel like the whole blue tick thing is now... People like, for example... Who did you notice today had gained a blue tick? Oh, no, yeah, The Guardian and BBC Breaking News accounts have got blue ticks on them. And I'm thinking, that's ridiculous, because you're... They're accounts for organisations, not for individuals. And surely the whole point of a, of a blue tick was to verify... No, I, I disagree. I, I, I disagree. The, the, the purpose of a blue tick of the white tick, whatever, is uh, you are a verified user. So, you know, the idea is that you wouldn't have another um, fake organisation pretending to be BBC Breaking News or The Guardian or something. The blue tick means that that is you and it's a sign of trust for the people that may choose to follow you. But it just looks weird that, you know, I would say at least a third of the people now that I see on Twitter today have all got blue ticks, including at David McClelland. This is true. This is this is a thing. I was wondering how long it would be until you noticed. <laughs> I noticed about four o'clock. I noticed about four o'clock this afternoon. So well done. Tell us when did you? What's your story, David? How did you apply and what happened? I'm not going to lie. I too had noticed that um, pretty much everyone on Twitter who was a journalist or had had a public um, a, a public face was getting a blue tick. And I, and then when you got one, I'm like, hang on a minute. <laughs> You know, I'm feeling a bit left out here. I'm feeling a little bit green with envy. So I had a look at the process. And and you're right, as we discussed last time, they did change it earlier this year. During the summer, I think, I thought, well, you know what? I'll have a look at what the process says. And some of the things that you spoke about, about you getting rejected for the blue tick, by the way, I was accepted first time, about you getting rejected for the blue tick um, were things like, you know, you need to make sure that your your profile photo actually looks like you. It isn't a a duck. Mine still doesn't. Mine is still me doing 
doing this. You were still allowed your same Twitter photo. I was wondering that. It's as if they're desperate to give blue ticks to people. As if They're like, please, please don't leave. Did you change your display name? Oh, yes, I did, yeah. So that, I was Jeff Tech on both. Now I'm Jeff Marshall. Uh, do you know what? I hadn't noticed that. I hadn't noticed. I fought several years ago to get my David McClelland handle because I couldn't get that originally and someone in the States had registered it and didn't use it for 18 months, so I was able to claim it back. That's, that's an interesting... Hang on, sorry, tangent, but relevant because like this popped up this week. If, if my name is Fred Smith and there's already a Fred Smith out there and he hasn't used it in four years, there's nothing to stop me contacting him personally, providing I can, and saying... You know, like how, how can you transfer a Twitter account from one person to, to another? You don't, you, you don't have to go through Twitter. That person could just change the password to something, let you know what it is, and then you log in, and then that's it, right? They can make it available, and then you can then grab it. But I remember a while back, this is like five years ago, there was a rule that if the account hadn't tweeted in 18 months, you could email support. There was like a certain email address... You could email and you could ask... There's an account that hasn't tweeted in four years and I really want its name. So I want to, I want to somehow nab it. It may have changed. But I missed out by, I think, weeks of getting at will. Oh. As I noticed it hadn't tweeted, I think someone else also noticed and they grabbed it. Will, who is at will? Who is, who is the other will? I think it's some German guy from the look at, of it. So it's at, at will. At will. <laughs> And veal. <laughs> We've just upset all our German friends. And I have, I, know, I have got a couple of German friends that watch this, so they'll now be appalled at my terrible mockery. Sorry. Certainly when I had to try and hunt down uh, at David McClelland, I had to provide Twitter with proof. And we're going back to 2010, 2011, so still the very early days, really. I had to provide proof in a similar way to verification that um, it was in Twitter's interests or it was in the public interests that I had that account and you know whatever bullshit I fed them. Basically, they, they took it, so I managed to get the account. And it was interesting while I was in that sort of hinterland where I had one stroke two ids some things would forward on some things wouldn't in terms of clicks in terms of embedded tweets on websites and stuff i changed my username once because that was the unusual thing about twitter was you could change your username like most sites you can't change your username whereas twitter Mm. you can so what is the reasoning what does twitter stand to gain by removing let's face it some of the exclusivity and that's nothing against Jeff or I, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'd stand a good chance of getting verification anyway. There are things you get. So there is, if you're getting a lot of abuse, there's a thing you can tick as a verified user. It can, it can filter your replies, basically. And it looks at them algorithmically and goes, well, they're all abusive. Let's filter those out. So you only get the good replies. But in terms of what Twitter stands to gain, you know, Twitter's not been doing terribly well, let's face it, from a business point of view. Maybe this is it. Maybe they think more verified users will bring us more users. Letting us edit tweets will within like 30 seconds of you posting it and noticing a typo. That's Yeah, what need. that would be good. Especially when it's an iPhone typo. That's the worst one. Because sometimes I've noticed the iPhone, even if you're watching the words they type, when you type the second word, it will change the word before. Yeah. So it's not even just changing it as you're typing that word, which is fair enough. If you missed that, that's fine. But sometimes you'll be two words on and it will change a word, two words back. And then you don't, then you miss it. 
Are you moving the podcast talk around to iPhones already, Will? I'm not. I want to move it back to David C100, but <laughs> no, I'm saying we, we've done quite well because because we're ten minutes in and we haven't mentioned either A Apple products or B Roaming Data. So <laughs> welcome to the Roaming Data segment of the podcast. Oh, no, that, that that is coming, Jeff. Don't worry, we will <laughs> oh, cover Roaming Data because <laughs> it it wouldn't feel the same if we didn't mention Roaming Data. Oh no! Oh, but no. I want to spin back to David's new arrival. So you've got a C100 today. Yes, I do. So peering back the curtain a little bit on how we film this, we've all got we've all got cameras in our respective offices and so on. Um, I've been filming on a mixture of an iPhone, uh, an iPhone 6 Plus, using the front-facing camera, so not even full HD, using an app called Filmic Pro. It gets a little bit glitchy. And again, I will take my hat off to Will, um, who does the editing for all of this. It's all good fun. It's it's all good fun, but I like sometimes I provide him with I provide him with glitchy assets. It's when it fills the storage, it starts to glitch. I think when iPhone storage starts to run out, uh, iOS does certain bits of housekeeping. However, that when you are trying to record some video, which it's quite intensive, can be a fairly intensive process, I suppose does start to um, eat into some of the uh, processing and you start getting glitches, quite quite substantial glitches as well. Anyway, I've also been using a DSLR. Uh, we tried uh, that Canon last time, DSLR. didn't we? Tried that last time. Picture looked great for it the did. first 10 really minutes. Good. And then it was one of the hottest days of the year that we were recording. And uh, yeah, that kind of melted as well. So it's back to the iPhone and glitches at the end. So I've gone and invested in a Canon EOS uh, C100. Now, um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's um, it's like your DSLR, but it's a proper camcorder, proper professional video camcorder. It's very light, very nimble, um, great for running and gunning and events and for journalists um, at events and so on. And I have to say, when I bought mine, I bought mine about a year ago, I uh, had a Sony, God, was it a Z5? Yeah, you want a Z5. A traditional camcorder style camera, and it was Will that was like, yeah, you want to get a C100, and... And it was one of those things, the more wheel you went on about it, the more I kind of like resisted because you kept going on about it. <laughs> it's the best camera I've bought. And then I went down the shop and then I had a go of one and I was like, yeah, OK. And then I, I did, I then I, a combination of the guy in the shop, you know, playing with one and mm. Will going, it's the best camera you've ever had. And within about a week of having it, I was like, this is the best camera I've ever had. Yeah. And it's really it good. Is, it's so really good. And for what we do right and for the cost now, because I, I got one, I think it, it was one of the first ones in the UK. I had to wait to get a shipment in to get it. And I've I've not regretted that purchase ever since. I mean, it has its problems. It has little things, little quirks. And you've got the 2, Jeff. And the Mark II does solve a lot of those problems. But do you want to know what the biggest problem I've ever had with this camera? This is where you say, yes, Jeff, tell us. Yes, Jeff, tell me the biggest problem you've had with this camera. <laughs> raindrops on the lens on my old sony z5 on the viewfinder i could see little speckles of rain i've had about three or four shoots where i've come back and i've mm. been like oh, sh- oh blah, blah, blah. hang on will will inserts that <laughs> crazy noise as i say <laughs> and i've had to spend time in post kind of like getting rid of the blob of rain on the lens and it's a really awkward thing to do the main problem with a c100 mark one that i've got which is fixed in your mark ii is the fact that i cannot see what this shot looks like the the screen doesn't articulate up if i had like a 70d or something it would be all right it doesn't come all the way around i'm watching myself right now if anybody hello this is me looking directly into the lens if anyone is disconcerted when i do this 
That's because I'm looking slightly to the right where I can see myself in my monitor screen. That's why. Sorry about that. So for all I know, I'm horrendously out of focus. <laughs> I'm going to regret <laughs> saying that because I will be horrendously out of focus. I've done my best. <laughs> I've done my best. But this is week one using this setup. So yeah, we'll see. Does the Mark One not have auto face detection focus like the Mark II has? There was an upgrade to the Mark One, which was the dual pixel autofocus sensor. Either it, they replaced the sensor or they did some clever stuff internally and upgraded the firmware. I got a quote on that today. Okay, actually. how much is that? I, I wrote to a bloke at Canon, and in the UK, I think it's 340 or £350 pounds plus VAT, but that yeah. includes return postage, and it takes them two or three days to go over. Yeah. But what that does, it's, it's this continuous, with the right lenses, continuous focus, so it will just follow very, very quick. You need the SDM lenses. Not just STM lenses, it's, it's a whole load of lenses in the uh, in the uh, range. There are a few that it doesn't work with. You need the ones that basically, they don't focus, they have a ring, but it's it's all wires. And they take a little while to get used to. But once you work them out, they work really well with this camera. And they're really cheap. Well, yeah, yes, yes, I mean, certainly the... Well, they are, compared to L-Glass. The first lens I got was the, which one was it? That 35, 100, 105. I paid close to a grand for that, and I probably used it for about a couple of months until I got the eighteen one three five, which is only two two about three hundred quid. Two eighty nine to two eighty nine. I saw it today on uh, on Amazon. A third of the cost, and I've used that way 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 more. That's certainly one lens that I'm considering. This dual pixel autofocus thing, um, it only works for the middle, right in the middle of the screen. And, uh, you know, for anyone who films interviews and stuff, that isn't always where your point of interest is. We frame this bang in the middle, but that's not how you normally would film. Completely. But it's, it's a chunk of money on top of this camera. So I'm, I'm considering it. Jeff, you've Hi. got the C100 Mark II. Yes. You have dual pixel autofocus on yours, and I presume that means that focusing on moving object is much easier for you. Yes, um, I I'm quite can be quite lazy, and I, I do go auto more than I go manual. But obviously, when I want to get a sexy money shot, then I do drop to manual. The yeah. auto functions on this camera are there to help you when speed. You need speed, and you need to yeah. get that shot, and it's that kind of yeah. reportage stuff. The running and you, gunning. Yeah. You might yeah. miss. Yeah, which, I'm definitely more run and gun. If I was setting down, yeah, if I'm, if I'm doing a sit down, you know, static interview, I would definitely drop to manual. But for your pigeon shots, Jeff. For my, my classic, yep. my, my get, <laughs> pigeon, Jeff flying gets a pigeon shot into every video. There's a pigeon in this Friday's video coming Is up. Is there? I'll look out for it. Peering behind the curtains of Jeff's psyche viewer, if you watch Jeff's Londonist videos, and I'm sure some of his own videos on his vlog as well. Vlog, vlog, vlog. Vlog. Ha <laughs> ha. You sent me a link saying that Casey Neinstadt had stopped daily vlogs. And what I uh, wondered, Jeff, is this why you've also stopped daily vlogs? <laughs> I was having a phase. You did your birthday one. Was your birthday the last one? That was ages ago. Yeah, all right. Let me get a word in anyways. For me, it's quite recent because I got back into the land of Wi-Fi and then blitzed through them all. I think, bizarrely, again, the day after we recorded the last podcast and I was talking about how amazing Casey Neinstadt was and his daily vlogs, he then posted a vlog which said, this is my last daily vlog, which was hugely ironic. But it's because he went on holiday for a week and he took a week out. And I'm happy to say that after he came back from holiday after a week, he started daily vlogging again. So um, I've just been busy doing other things. There will be videos on my channel. Which do you think I thought 
was the best? Which was my favourite of the ones you posted? The one where I'm with my friend in his sound studio yeah. showing you how we make the music. And that was the one I thought I was going to like least, ironically. Yeah. I looked at the title and went, meh, it's going to be boring. But I'll watch it because it's Jeff. And then I, was re- I really liked it. I liked the interaction with you and your mate. I liked the setting. I liked the, I liked the fake walk-up shot. I thought that was great. I liked the kind of the ironic twist on it. I really like that one. But it's a lot more work, stuff like that. Yeah, some of the others, I'm just talking to camera and there's like literally four edits in them, like jump cuts. And that one, I spent a lot more time actually doing a lot of editing, which you could probably tell. It's harder than people think, this video, Lark. That old editing, Lark, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So thanks, thanks. There there will be other stuff. I posted a new video on my channel today, actually. I saw that. um, That was an excerpt from your train spotting show. And I don't think that that was in the show that David and I saw. That looked like an updated show. There's a new addition. Every time I do my stage show, I add in a new segment to keep it fresh. And that was good. Uh, the, good. I liked the newest. It. I might just have got the biggest laugh of the whole night, actually. So, but I've given, yeah, check out my channel. I'm sure Will will do one of his gazillion links down below again. I might link it. We'll see. See how we're doing. And uh, you can go and see me being hilarious. Anyway. In addition to David's on. C100, which arrived today, yes. I got something else in the post today. What? Uh, oh, yeah. This episode of Fraculars is brought to you by Audible.com, the premier provider of audiobooks, with over 180,000 titles to choose from. One of the best things about audiobooks on Audible is that lots of them are read by the author that actually wrote them. You're not experiencing the book through someone else's interpretation. You're hearing the book exactly as the author intended. And this really comes into its own for autobiographies. Not only are you hearing the words written by the author, but you get to experience it through them as they relive their memories. You can get Stephen Fry, read by Stephen Fry. Tina Fey, read by Tina Fey. Alan Partridge, read by Alan Partridge. Brian Blessed, read by Brian Blessed. The list just goes on and on. And if it turns out you don't like a book for any reason, Audible will exchange it for another. No questions asked. There is literally nothing to lose. To start your free 30-day trial of Audible, which includes a free audiobook download, go to fraculous.com slash audible so that they know that we sent you and to show your support for the show. Go on, Will. So you remember I was talking about the MevoCam last yeah. episode? And? Dun, 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 dun. It's going to lean in to see it. Hang on. It's quite small, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't look as impressive as I thought it was going to be. Well, this is with the boost on it. This is all battery. So from here to here, battery. Well, then it's, then it's tiny, if you'll excuse the if expression. I... Explain for the viewer what it actually is, Will. It's basically a lens. It's pretty much a lens. It's about three or four centimetres high. It's a circular tube and it's a camera. It's a 4K camera and it's got this array microphone on the front and then you can also buy this accessory called the boost so this gets about an hour and a bit battery life claimed which i would say for pro use not enough this big battery gets you another 10 hours so if you're going to use it in a pro setting i'd say you need this and this also adds in ethernet so this has under the flap an ethernet port and also has a USB port you can put a 4G dongle in. So it's a camera? It's a camera, and it's designed for live streaming. It's by Livestream.com. And have you actually used it in anger yet? I haven't live streamed yet. I've just 
I've had a few little tests today. I've been posting videos on Slack. Oh, that's what they were. Oh, I wonder what they were. They were all filmed on the Mevo. Oh, right. Now that makes sense. And the clever thing that it does, I'm going to put it back on its base so I don't... T- I don't like the fact that there's no lens cover and I'm very worried about press ah, t- getting a fingerprint yeah. on the lens. So I'm going to stick it back on its Good feedback. massive base. So what it does is it has a 4K sensor and the idea is that it gives you a multicam setup in a single box. So it doesn't output 4K, it only outputs 720p and it cuts 720p frames from that 4K image. So it can give you a wide shot it can do face tracking, so if it sees a face, it will follow it as it moves through the frame. And you can also specify manual shots you want. And then you go into this nine grid and you can press live as the event is streaming and switch between... On an iPhone or an iPad? Oh yeah, sorry, that's the thing I've missed. Use your iPhone as the interface <laughs> to it. So it has no actual interface itself. It's literally... Wi-Fi and also Bluetooth. This is quite clever. I've found a lot of these things which have their own hotspot. If you make any changes to them, they have to you have to disconnect and reconnect and then find the new name and all of that stuff. Because it uses Bluetooth, it can maintain a connection to the camera for settings, but you can update the Wi-Fi settings independently. So that's quite clever. So it creates a Wi-Fi hotspot. You log your phone onto that Wi-Fi, your iPhone onto that wireless hotspot. With the app, you can see this, essentially this uh, 4K image, and then you can punch in and do a live mix of different segments. It's got face tracking. Does it do um, object tracking as well? or is it? I just think it's face? just faces. And then the other thing it does, it's got an SD card, micro SD slot. They gave you a 16 gig card, which, well, I don't know, it's not that useful, but one to eight gig cards what 50 60 quid so you can record directly to the card if you're streaming you could if you're logged onto its hotspot it will use the 3g 4g connection in your phone to do the streaming if you're logged you can also log it onto a wi-fi network in which case it will use that wi-fi to do the streaming directly and then like i said it's got ethernet and the usb on the boost so you could again use that instead and where will it stream to it'll stream to two locations so when i i actually pre-ordered this back in january i think you sent me the press release and within about i think it took me about 10 was it 10 or was it five minutes before i (laughs) pre-ordered it it wasn't very many I, i saw this i'm a member of this mobile journalism um community and uh this started doing the rounds i thought this has got will's name all over it you were right you're absolutely right. So where will it stream to? So when it was first announced, it would only stream to Livestream.com because they're the okay. people that make it. Kind of makes sense. Livestream, I'm not sure if they have a free service or not. They were talking about having a special service for this camera. But then right. when it was the F8 event, Fate, the Facebook event, when they announced Facebook Live, they also announced this camera will be the first to directly support Facebook Live. So it's a one-box Facebook Live streaming solution. And they have promised other services in the future, but they haven't clarified who or what they will be. And so far, your tests, I mean, I've been watching some of those tests today, and um, the, the, the output's not too bad. It's um, a little bit denoised when you're, when you're zooming in. I mean, is that output still full HD when you're, when you're punched in, or are you a bit more than that? 
It's all 720p. Okay, okay, which is fine for Facebook, let's face it. And for streaming, you don't really want more than that. And I think, ultimately, it's a 4K sensor, so you'd only get four 1080p sections of that, whereas 720p, you can get quite a lot of coverage, create more angles. Yeah, it's noisier on the close-up than I was hoping. It'd be interesting to see how that looks when it's actually live streaming, because the compression could sometimes get rid of those artefacts, smooth them out, blur them, that kind of thing. It may not be an issue. I've only been posting stuff that's been recorded to the card itself. So, as a professional video production company, Fixation Video, that is that that is you, Will, what, apart from it being a cool gadget, what do you see this being used for? I see it for a couple of things. One is for a very cheap live stream service. So, it's still quite cheap. I think I paid... I paid, what, let me just look at my notes, back in January for the boost and the unit and turns out a mic stand didn't know i was going to get that that was a surprise today that's to mount it on uh i paid 399 dollars but then there was also about 65 dollars of shipping on that to get it to the uk and a nice surprise 72 pound 50 of import duty to pay when it arrived at the door nice nice so all in all came to about 400 quid I just checked the prices on the live stream site today and just the camera alone is now $399. And the boost, I think, is about... Where's the boost? Boost's 250 So you see this as um, a kind of one bit of, one, one bit of kit that might be useful for clients who are doing a, doing a press event or something and want to have a live stream as well as maybe, you know, a, a kind of high-quality video for YouTube purposes. Yeah, I mean, we could we could either man it, we could even train them how to use it because it's so easy with the phone and it has an auto follow function. I'm not sure. I only tried it with one person and it wasn't that impressive. But I presume in a multi-person setup, it will follow whoever's speaking cleverly. So it'd be good to see how that works. So that's one option. The other thing you can do with it is Livestream has some software called Livestream Studio, and that's 800 bucks. But this can be a remote camera in that. So what I'm kind of thinking for that is you have a couple of these are in the venue, one really close, one a bit further out, or maybe one facing the crowd, one facing the stage. You've got a couple, but you can still set up those multi shots. You can be sat at a desk further back. You've got your live streaming studio software and you've got these two cameras that you can remotely control effectively. So it's actually quite a cheap, and cheerful solution for that kind of setup. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Great for video for events. Great for video for events. Launching soon. Guys. Yep. Yeah. Can I can I throw in a real curveball? Go ahead. I haven't put this in the pre-podcast script notes, but I just suddenly thought that I wanted to mention it. Can I tell you something that I'm doing next week? I'm having a complete digital digital detox for a week, for a whole five days. Oh, Wow. What does um, that, what does that see, entail? Uh, I want to see what it's like. Uh, because so what, are you, um, what are the rules? What are the ground rules on this? So do you want to know what I'm doing for my digital detox week? Yeah. Is it like digital Lent? Or is Lent the one, is Lent the, is Lent the one where you don't do stuff? Or is that when you stuff your face? I'm going to hand over my iPhone and iPad to Vicky. And she's going to passcode lock them with a number oh, that really? I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know what you should do? Here's Go what on. you should do, Jeff. You should say to Vicky... Here is £50. 
if I have to ask you for the code, you have to donate this to a pro-Brexit campaign. <laughs> so I, I'm going to give her my devices. She's going to lock it with a number that I don't know. I'm going to give her, I have a landline, I have a secret landline. So I'm going to give up my landline number to people like my mum, you know, to a couple of people as for like just in case emergencies. Um, and, then, and then I am allowed to check my laptop for email because email is, is how I conduct a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, how are you going to run your business in your digital detox? <laughs> email is my business. But basically, it's, so, it's like, I, I don't watch the news, don't watch any YouTube, don't do any Twitter, don't do any Instagram. And I'm just going to have a week off and see... Why? What, what's the motivation, Jeff? Last weekend, was it the weekend before? You kind of said you were logging off. Bank holiday weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, I, so I, had, I just wanted to see what it was... It was like, it's a bit weird. David, you'll appreciate this because I know that you're a sports fan. I know that Will's going to groan. Love sports. Love those sports. I've kind of weaned myself off sport and football a bit. I've done that too, Jeff. <laughs> you never liked sport in the first place. That's how I did it. Saturday afternoon was always a time to check sports results on, on the phone. And it just I realised one day how unsociable it was. And so I went a whole weekend, Saturday and Sunday, without... I had my, my phone was in my pocket in case it rang. I didn't check or post Twitter. I th- actually, I say that, I think I gave in on like Monday evening. So I did two and a bit days. I felt like I missed nothing. I feel like I just want to have like a whole week off and just sort of have a bit of a, like cleanse out my system and just have some time away, have some time down. And because I think we're too, we're too plugged in ev- every day. We're, we're all freelance, right? We don't have Monday to Friday jobs, nine to five. And I can think back to a time when I would get when I didn't have a computer at home. Think about that, kids. I'd have a computer at work with email, and email was only ever a Monday to Friday thing when I was at work because everybody used their business email for personal. I always had email communication. At home. We used to dial in, CompuServe. G'dang, uh, g'dang, yeah, g'dang, g'dang, yeah. G'dang. Oh, hey, hey! I'll tell you a big secret. My friend, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to tell you his name, but mm. we, he set up a system at the BBC where you could dial in to the BBC on a number. And the modem would then ring, would then ring you back and connect, and you could get internet access without you paying. Some friends of mine at uni at Warwick, they were they were in the in my brother's year, so about two years older, and they realised that there were free internal calls within the halls, and they managed to get one of the I think they got one of the phones close enough to the computer science lab that they had two you know acoustic couplers that you saw in war games yes. you used to put the handset in. They got like two of those and put one in the computer science lab. And so I think they set Fantastic. the phone to automatically pick up and then they could get internet from their room. And this would have Fantastic. been like early Brilliant. 90s. But anyway, so I'm going to device this down for a week and, and just see how I go. And uh, I'll report back next time on the next Fraculous. So basically, we, we cannot record that week is what you're saying, Jeff. How do you think you'll feel at the end of this week? How do I think I feel? Um, relaxed. Refreshed. Really? I, what? You won't, yeah, you won't feel a sense I, of stress or mania about what you might be missing, no fear of missing out? FOMO. I, but I think, I think once you get over that, that initial rush, then, then I'll feel relaxed and refreshed. I feel like my phone is in my pocket and, I, and it's terrible. It's like every 20 minutes, must check Twitter, must check Twitter, must check Twitter. No, you don't. Just check it once a day and let that be it. It's fine. I mean, I did this. I didn't do it as extremely as you did, Jeff, but I did... At one point, mate, I hadn't, I think since I'd got into Twitter properly, I had obviously used lists to try and manage my reading. But I would always make sure I filled in the blanks each time 
and it was getting ridiculous. It was getting to the point where I was doing like a thousand, reading a thousand updates a day, and it was just taking too much time. And then I decided for like two days, I just wasn't going to read it, just break. And then it, and it was fine. And then now I've kind of got the point with Twitter. I'm kind of like, as you've probably seen, I kind of dip in and out of it now. So I don't have that same kind of relationship I did with it. And it is much, 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 much nicer. And I don't feel like I miss anything. You're also managing three Twitter accounts that I know of. Fixation Video, Will Head, and also Fraculous, although we all chip into the Fraculous thing from time to time. But it's kind of like, where do you even start? I'm actually really liking the Fraculous account because it's, it, it's great for... It's that amplifier conversation into to another audience. Mm-hmm. That's what I like yeah. about using almost like an account in the middle to say that's interesting what do people think and then bring in the comments kind of curate a conversation that's what I like about doing that and that's pretty easy to do and simple I agree and I have to say the conversations that we've been having on Fraculous even conversations that I'm not immediately involved in I know we're having a chat this afternoon with uh, Chris Finn about wireless charging following on from the stuff that I've been doing with my iPhone we're having some great conversations um, on on the Fraculous account and and like you say I think whatever it is that you're amplifying whatever you're curating is it's good quality stuff for you, me, Jeff, and uh, you know the people who are on that. But it is a case of not trying to read the whole of Twitter. <laughs> it's just yeah. literally finding stuff. It's interesting. Chuck it in there. See what happens. We've come back full circle to Twitter again, haven't we? Ah, always happens. Apple and Twitter. Coming back to Twitter. No, no. Let's do data roaming. Let's do data roaming. Data roaming is on there, but let's do a bit more Twitter. You tweeted something out, Jeff, a couple of nights ago. It was a tweet from at Apple. And yes. not many of us have actually seen this before. Oh my! So, oh my! Yes, oh my, yes, because I didn't know that account was active. It was so exciting, wasn't it, when it popped up on our timelines? We were like, "Whoa!" And then the first thing I did was go to the Apple account, and there's nothing there. They must have deleted the tweet. Well, no. What they've done is they've done a promoted tweet. So if you do a promoted tweet, it doesn't necessarily appear on your timeline unless you want it to. Why don't promoted tweets appear on your timeline like a regular tweet? It's a good question. You want it to be relevant to the audience you're targeting. And also, why don't Apple have a blue tick? <laughs> no, I think they do now, don't they? <laughs> oh, OK. Because they've also got an uh, Apple emoji, a custom emoji. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, they paid a fortune for that, I'm sure. It's about a million dollars, I think, for a custom emoji. Apple does have a blue what? tick, I can well, confirm. Well, you've got to buy basically a oh. million dollars worth of promotional packages to get the attention of Twitter to make you a custom emoji. And this is all ahead of the iPhone 7 launch, which in our time is tomorrow, but by the time this podcast is out, will have been a couple of weeks ago. It is tomorrow night. It's really badly timed recording. (laughs) And I really don't think it's going to be that exciting, to be honest. Well, we'll see. You never know. But the one thing I think is great about this whole Apple Twitter thing is only Apple could do this. Because... Only people care that there's a hidden tweet from Apple that you can find, dig out and retweet. And apparently if you retweet it, it will notify you when the event starts. They've done it that way on purpose, knowing that people will love the fact that they've done a hidden tweet. And that and look, we're now talking about it. So it's worked perfectly. In the same way that they take, they take the store down whenever they update it. They don't need yeah. to take the store down to update it. Do you think, really? Is that just a big game for them? Totally. Oh, come on. This is 2016. Of course, you do they not don't need, need to take, take the, the store, store down, down to update it. Interesting. I know some seasoned Mac journalists who know 
in advance to basically cash the entire store because it goes down before the keynote. So you then can compare the prices of things that have been announced versus the old thing if you've got your local <laughs> cash of the store. Whereas if you don't have that, it just says, come back soon, we're packing up the store. Smart move. Do you think that's the case with all... When, when I used to work at the BBC many years ago and they used to... And they relaunched the BBC Doctor Who website, they did the same thing. They took the Doctor Who website down for two hours and were like, it's going to be here at seven o'clock. But they could have just launched it. It didn't need to take it down. No, then. you just have it on a separate server and you switch it over. Build the anticipation. But only Apple can do it. That's the thing. Only, people only care when Apple does this stuff. And the BBC or Doctor Who. We may as well go there very quickly. We, everybody knows what's going to happen. It, but do they? Oh, do they really know? Do we? Do they really know? No headphone, uh, no 3.5mm jack It's the big one. And no antenna lines either. But I quite like the antenna lines. I think they look weird without it now. Dual camera as well. This is something that I've been uh, seeing various rumours of. There is a rumour the Plus is going to be much more advanced. There's going to be a bigger gap between what's in the Plus and what's in the normal. Because they have, they've slowly been adding extra things to the Plus, haven't they? Given that we have a MacBook Pro, an iPad Pro, is there space for an iPhone Pro? Because essentially that's what Samsung's done with its line. You know, you've got the Samsung Galaxy S whatever, and that is the consumer line of phones. And then you've got the Galaxy Note whatever, and that is the more professional users of phones. That's the way that I've thought of the iPhone 6 and uh, 6 Plus and 6S and 6S Plus. I wonder if with the iPhone 7, Apple will formalise that and um, we'll end up with an iPhone Pro, iPhone 7 Pro. I'm prepared to be very underwhelmed tomorrow. And as I think we asserted on a previous Fractalus episode, next year, the 10th anniversary, is possibly what Apple are saving themselves first. I, I don't see any reason that I'm going to want to rush out and buy an iPhone 7 tomorrow. I think a lot of it is incremental changes. I think we've, again, touched on this before, that they don't seem that dramatic. But I remember my 5S. My 5S was a great upgrade, but it was one of those... It looked the same as the 5. Okay, it was gold. But the things like... There were the hidden things, things like the Touch ID. They weren't hidden, but they weren't... Until you used them and realised exactly how useful they were... And obviously that laid the ground for Apple Pay and things like that. So it's some of this stuff comes in but doesn't get fully utilised until a couple of generations later. It's very True. hard in the moment to say, that's amazing. But in retrospect, you can look back and go, OK, I see that now led to that, to that, to that. And this thing that I have now is amazing. But if Apple had all that planned with the Touch ID sensor, because when the Touch ID sensor came in, Apple Pay wasn't a thing, why didn't they tease us with, hey, in the future you'll be able to use your thumb to pay for things. Apple doesn't tease, though, does it? They can save it as a brand new feature. Like, why tease? Like, they don't need to. Apple teased the Apple Watch in September. Didn't launch it until the... Blah, April. They always do that with the first gen. They did it with the iPad. They did it with the iPhone. They Because it takes a long time to get production up and running. They didn't tease the iPad. Ah, they I didn't think... tease the iPhone. They did no, the, the iPhone, iPhone they did. They, so, they definitely they, they teased it by about six months in advance. The iPhone was definitely about six months before because it was at CES. That was a, I remember it was a CES, and everyone had to fly out of CES to San Francisco for one Apple event. People were really annoyed. They came back going, "Oh my God, that's the future!" And then the phone wasn't out till the summer, so that was January to the summer. Yeah, I guess I wasn't thinking of that as. 
wasn't thinking of that as the tease, I suppose, but it's, it, it is the same as they did with the Apple Watch. Apple tends to have another launch event in October, I think, doesn't it? When it's uh, in the past, it's announced iPads and stuff. It has traditionally had the two events, but it didn't last year. It had just the one last year. And it was quite epic because it was Apple TV, it was new Apple Watches, it was the iPad Pro. Yeah, it was, it, it was Apple TV. I mean, I remember I was working last this time last year it was actually tonight last year for for the apple event and it was about an hour and three quarters long one of the longest uh, events that i can remember i suspect tomorrow night's might be quite long as well it's going to be a long one i'm working tomorrow night i'm i'm covering it for mobile world live the um oh, uh, the editorial arm of the uh, gsma the, the congress so i'll be creating a little highlights video all being well a, nice. a three minute take on the three hour press conference Good luck with that. What? How much sleep do you think you'll get tomorrow night? I'm not expecting a lot, but then I've got a full day's shoot tomorrow. Uh, shooting tomorrow morning, then doing the Apple event tomorrow night. I've got a full day's shoot on Ouch. Thursday and a full day's shoot on Friday. So oh. yeah, sleep is at a premium this week. <laughs> Ouch. Anyway, by the time by the time our, our, our listener hears this, the Apple's the Apple story will be old news. We'll all have pre-ordered our iPhone six G or whatever they call it because they're not going to call it an iPhone seven because they want to save that for next year. There's another prediction. Can we have a vote now? Can we have a vote? So David is going for not iPhone 7, but iPhone 6 plus letter. I'll put my neck on the block and say it will be iPhone 7. Will, what are you going to go for? I'm going to go for iPhone 6, iPhone 6SE, iPhone 7, iPhone, no word, just iPhone. And I'm going to edit out (laughs) all the wrong ones and just put the right one in. And then I'm going to look like a genius. iPhone 7 Pro. Good. Is that, have we done with Apple News now? Finally. Which means it's time for Will to tell us how many apps are on his phone this is time. It, is it app update time, <laughs> Jeff? It's app update time of the podcast. Right, right after a message from this, hang on, after a message from this sponsor, we'll be finding out how many apps Will's got on his phone. <laughs> that is a good way to keep people, keep people engaged, isn't it? This episode of Fraculous is brought to you by Little Bits. Now, if you're anything like me, when you were a kid, you loved building things. Anything you could lay your hands on, you would stick together and turn into something new. I guess it's part of the inventor-creator culture. What Little Bits has done is brought that whole creator-maker thing into 2016. It's a platform of easy-to-use electronic building blocks that let you invent pretty much anything from a smart home device to a remote-controlled car. Now, the clever thing is that makes this really good for kids is that the bits snap together with magnets. So there's no soldering mess, no wiring. You don't even have to do any programming if you don't want to. Each bit has got a different function, whether it's lights or motors or sounds. There's temperature sensors, pressure sensors. There's even a bit that connects to the internet. There's also a music synthesizer, something to plug into your Arduino, even connecting into Minecraft. And they're also colour-coded too. Green is output, pink is input, orange is a wire. So you can do all kinds of things with these. Now, little bits come in kits. One kit I'm going to mention is called the Little Bits Gizmos and Gadget Kit. And you can build up to 12 different inventions with this kit. Everything from a spinning nightlight to a remote-controlled car. If you want to find out more about Little Bits and maybe order your first kit, then visit fraculous.com slash littlebits so they know that we sent you. A massive thanks to Little Bits for supporting this show. So, General, about... 
Okay, we were three, four, six. Three, four, six. Jeff, higher or lower? Oh, higher. It's, it's never going to go down. It may do one time, you know. One day I may just get sick of all the apps on my phone and delete them all. It's definitely gone higher. No mistake. I'm going for three, five, one. David? Add 20 to your last number. Add 20 to the number that you had. It was three, four, six last time. Add five, three, five, one. Jeff is closest with... Three, five, two. We have two. Well, you know, how I've been a bit busy. Add six apps. How do you? Well, you I must was... download an app like every other day. <clears throat> I can tell you f- one, two, three, four. I can tell you five of them because they're in the order on the fr- on the screen. How many screens of apps do you have? I only have three. You've got a lot of folders, then, right? My home page is all folders, apart from the bottom <laughs> two rows which are 3D touch-enabled icons that I use a lot. And then the next page is kind of my... It's like a holding area where I put new apps. So I can always find them. I can remember I downloaded them. And I have to decide whether I still want them. And I've actually... That's now spilled over into page three. So it needs some scooping up into folders. My latest ones... Oh, no, I know what they were. There was Monzo, the bank. Mondo, it was Bondo became Monzo. So it's online bank. Challenger bank. Yeah, I've heard about them. You had, yeah, you had to stay in a queue. I'm now at the top of the queue, but I haven't applied for the card yet because you've got to preload with £100 and I'm not actually convinced I'm going to use it yet. So that's still there. Parcel. That's a great app for tracking your parcel deliveries. And I was really? tracking a delivery quite intensely. My Mevo <laughs> camera as it flew across the world. I've got three different photo apps because all I wanted to do on a photo was blur out a square area and I could not find an app to do that. Photoshop Touch. Really? I've got, that, that's what I use. I've got Photoshop Mix, Photoshop Fix. I've got another Photoshop. Thanks, Adobe. What? Hang on. There are, mul- there are multiple Adobe Photoshop apps. Oh, gosh, yeah. There's loads. A whole load came out last year, this time last year. I have Photoshop Fix, Photoshop Mix, and Photoshop Express. So you're saying there's a touch one as well? Photoshop Touch, I think, came out this time last year. Oh, Rory Reed's just added me as a friend mm-hmm. on Snapchat. Rory Reed hey, is Rory. chatting. Hey, Rory. Hey, Rory. I'll, I'll watch that later. Photoshop Touch. So for the tweet that I did yesterday, we haven't talked about roaming yet. That's what I was trying to do. That's exactly what I did. I loaded it up into Photoshop Touch. You can, you, it's got layers. It's got loads of different effects. And it's, it's still... I don't feel as though it's quite there in terms of user interface. I can't remember the last time it was updated. So maybe this is just the really bad App Store search. Because I searched for Photoshop and I got Photoshop Mix, Photoshop Fix. Could not find Photoshop mm-hmm. Touch. And I already had Photoshop Express. And that wasn't doing the job as far as I could tell. Photoshop touch there it is with some photos um yeah and it's you know it's just got layers and it does let you do a gaussian blur and then my last app was the mevo app to control the mevo cam at the risk of going all cortex on you i'm really curious to see what your home screen <laughs> looks like whether you've gone a cgp gray and gone for three icons at the bottom i have i've totally gone down that route i've got the three i love the three that was the first thing i did after listening to the episode one of cortex Three across the bottom. I must admit, I did that as well. And then it's like, no, I need, I need to see more apps on my homepage. Otherwise, I'm flicking through them all. So uh, I went back to four. 
Well, no, I've got the three. I've got calendar, I've got my hours tracking, and I've got my to-do list. They're the things yeah. I use the most. Oh, app news, app news. Sorry, you mentioned calendars. One of my favourite, one of my best used is apps. Is Sunrise? Sunrise. Sunrise has oh. been sunset. It has, except it's still working. Shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone at Microsoft. So Sunrise is a calendar app. I downloaded it probably 18 months or so ago. And the good thing about it, it looks great. It brings together all of my different calendars uh, from you know Google Calendars to uh, CalDAV to iCloud. But it works across multiple platforms. It is Microsoft. So yeah, uh, Microsoft went and bought Sunrise oh, they bought last it. October, I think. And then have they been integrating it into the very good Outlook app for iOS? I'm sure it's going into an Android version as well. But the Sunrise app is still working. I think it was supposed to stop working on the 31st of August. It's still working on my iOS devices. It's also still working on my desktop. And that was what I was looking for. I was looking for an app that brought together my different calendars and gave me a unified view, not only on iOS, but also on my desktop as well. And Sunrise did that. I tried a whole load of them. Tempo, ah, I can't remember which the other ones were, but Sunrise did it the best. So I was pretty broken hearted when, <laughs> when it said it was shutting down. But for some reason, it still seems to be up. Mm. Till, they, till they turn off the server it's running on, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if anybody knows of another good calendar, I mean, I guess I could just use Outlook. And I do use Outlook for some email accounts that I don't want to check quite as much as my main accounts. Um, but if anyone knows of another really good calendar app that brings together like my Google, my my uh, iCloud, and lets me see it on iOS devices, on Android devices, and also on a desktop uh, through a web browser as well, let me know. I'd be uh, really happy to hear about a new one. I just use the Apple calendar. And I just... I, I have multiple calendars. They're Google calendars, and I plug them into the Apple calendar app on both my desktop and my phone. I don't know, what am I missing here? What am I not doing here? But what happens when you're using a Windows machine? I've got my iPhone. Yeah, no, so, so I wanted the ability to have, But they're all Google uh, calendars, so I could view those on the web through Google Calendar. David, David, what, what, what do you mean when you're using a Windows machine? I use Apple iCloud calendars and I access it on my Windows machine. Fantastic, and so do I, but I want to have all of my calendars together in one place, and, and because of my work, I have to have certain calendars that are Google calendars, and uh, for, you know, for my personal stuff, I've got calendars that are iCloud calendars, you know, shared with a, with a wife and family and stuff. You can add iCloud to Google. There's a subscribe link. The, the Google, Google, generally speaking, Google apps look sh**. I don't like how Gmail looks. It works for some people. It does oh, I not love work Gmail. for me. The Google Calendar stuff looks just goddamn awful as well. I much prefer yeah. how iCloud looks, but I just can't yeah, be I agree. easily I productive agree. in it. So I just wanted something that looked much... I mean, the thing about Sunrise is it actually looks like iCal on the Mac, and that's absolutely fine for me. I can, I can see different colours. I can automate my life to the extent to which I need to, but I just don't get that with Google at all. You know, it's really weird. You keep, you keep saying Sunrise, and I just keep thinking of Sunbird, Mozilla, who make Thunderbird, which is the email client that I still use. I'm pretty sure they made a calendar called, called Sunbird. Am I making that up, or is there an old calendar app called Sunbird? Someone look up Mozilla thun, uh, Sunbird and see if that's a thing. I think it is. Okay, it, I'm Googling. I used, to, I'm Googling. I used, to, Be right I used to use that. I used to use that back in about 2007. Bloody hell. 
Is that still going? Mozilla Sunbird. That is a is thing. That... Wow. Is it still supported? Maybe that's your solution, David. <laughs> Imagine if it was that easy. So it now redirects to something called the Lightning Calendar. Organize yeah. your life. Yeah. So sounds like okay. sounds like sounds like Mozilla gave up on it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Again, if anyone's got any hot calendar apps that do what I want, that work in a web browser, cross-platform, bring together all my different apps and don't look shit, then let me know, please. Please, because I feel as though I'm on borrowed time until sunrise finally does get sunset. I have a couple of bits more follow-up. Do it. Apple Maps. Jeff, you're still wrong. Don't. How? Okay, here is an example of... Apple Maps being genuinely useful and good. No such thing exists. We were driving across France, okay? A long, long way across France. We hadn't filled up with petrol as we set out that morning. Beck was on Google Maps and was searching for petrol stations. But she said that you couldn't just go for a category. You couldn't just say, find me the closest petrol station. I said, hey, navigate to the nearest petrol station and off we went and within two minutes we were at a petrol station and that uses google maps so there you go that was apple maps no sorry that uses apple maps (laughs) you just you said the wrong thing i did (laughs) yeah that uses apple maps siri uses apple maps apple maps got us found us a petrol station on a direction. What if you'd have gone to the Google app at that point and asked ask the same thing? Hey, Google. This is something new with iOS 10 is that uh, there's much more third-party app integration. So you can say, hey, Siri, navigate to nearest petrol station using Google Maps. For example, that could be a thing that works. Hey, Google, where's my nearest petrol station? I'm doing it, by the way. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. Oh, that's a shame. Hey, Siri, where's my nearest petrol station? No, that didn't work either. You have to say navigate <laughs> to nearest petrol station. Navigate to nearest petrol station. Getting directions to service station. Hey, Siri, where's my nearest petrol station? Annoyingly, that has worked, Will. Yeah. It's all right, Jeff. I'll, I'll edit it so it doesn't work. It's fine. Could you blur it out so it doesn't show where I live? (laughs) It's looking, and it's opened up maps straight away. Thanks. And this one here has brought up the SO petrol station at the bottom of my road. So, I mean, that's that's quite useful. I asked where is is the nearest one, and it's told me I've got a phone number on here. All over the country, people's iPhones and Android phones are waking up and navigating them to the nearest petrol station. The other Apple Maps related thing, and this one was genuinely good. A lot of cities now have what they call 3D tours, 3D flyovers tours. And we were going to go and visit Bézier because it was quite close. And we, before we did that, we did a 3D flyover tour of Bézier. We could see the sites. We could talk, discuss where we wanted to go out of the sites it was showing us. We could actively see where they were. Get a, get a feel for it, and then go and see those things. So I would recommend, if there's a 3D flyover tour of a place you're going, have a quick, have a quick tour. But Apple Maps data is, is still much more incomplete, and they, it looks terrible compared to Google, and I, I can't stand using them. They're really, really bad. Sorry, Jeff, this is a far more important point. Did you fly over Bézier in gentle curves? 
We did. I thought about making that gag, but I didn't want to be the one that always makes the obvious gags. So I, I let that one. I let that one go. Thanks, Jeff. And then following on Fitbit, so as you know, I was having terrible problems with my Fitbit. It kind of came back to life. But the weird thing was, so the Flex has like five little lights, and that's the only way it can tell you anything. It can tell you how far you've done on your progress by lighting up a few. It can light up various different sequences to show you whether it's sleeping or not. One of them seems to have stopped working, which for a single LED that size just seems very bizarre for one of those to go. So I have replaced it with my backup, the one that I've got back here in the UK. I'm now back tracking my sleep, which is good, tracking my steps. I think just this week they announced some new Fitbits and the Flex was a new one, and Flex 2. I don't know. I kind of want it. I kind of really? want it. Well... Because really? it's slim and it's small, and it's the first one that's certified for swimming. So they, they're guaranteeing oh, yeah. you can swim with this on. Don't go swimming with your <laughs> Apple Watch, kids. Trust yeah, me, definitely it will that. only end in tears. And it's if you're also wanted. got um, automatic fitness tracking. So I currently log my runs using my iPhone 5S, and it's such a pain to basically set, open the app, set it going make sure GPS is running, stick it in a pouch, get that going. So if it had auto-tracking, or if they had an Apple Watch app, which Fitbit are never going to make, but if they had a way of, on my watch, just starting a workout, that would also be great. At the moment, my current current rate of Fitbits, this one should last me a good year. So I think I'm going to have a look at it then and see whether I still want okay. to be Fitbit and whether I want to be Fitbit Flex 2 or not. I am slightly tempted. That's my follow-up. Oh, no, no. Follow-up on my BlackBerry. <laughs> Your Black... Oh, no. My BlackBerry's getting blackballed. Talk about me having phone troubles. WhatsApp. the ultimate. WhatsApp are pulling the plug on my BlackBerry at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we saw the screenshot. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What do I do? What do I do, Jeff? You use your iPhone more. But my BlackBerry's my, my work phone. My iPhone's my play phone. I don't want to pollute my iPhone with work. You promote more people to level four. Well, that reminds me, there's a level five now. Yes. Yeah, what's level five, Jeff? Even David's not reached level five, but then he didn't Yeah, David, um, (laughs) Will and I had a level five moment. I have no idea what you're talking about. The four levels of friendship. You don't have my number. You have my BlackBerry number. You have my iPhone number for backup, but you have to use my BlackBerry. And then you have my iPhone default. And, and it's taken me about it's taken me about two to three years of knowing Will for him to be okay with me just messaging him direct on his on his iPhone. And we thought that was the highest level of friendship. But I I discovered a new level a new level five. I'm not and, sure I want to know what this level five is. <laughs> <laughs> and I freaked Will out because when he was on holiday in France, part of me just thought, I wonder whereabouts in France. Will it? I think it was after recording the last podcast. So I sent Will a find friends request using the Apple uh, app, uh-huh. the find friends that lets you share your location with friends. And it did disturb Will and it took a bit of coercing until the next day. I'd already locked myself down in restrictions, even so I couldn't inadvertently allow this because I just, it freaks me out a bit. I think people should comment. People listening and watching the podcast right now, should if, if they have iPhones, tell us, how many people do you share your fine friend's location with? None. No one. By default, I have it just shared with four, with four people, my, my lovely lady, and then three people that I would consider close friends. But do you share it all the time? Yeah, all the time. All the time. 
because this is the thing that interested me, Jeff, was when you said you can you can share it for like an hour. I like that. And then occasionally I share with if I'm meeting other people, I'll share with them for an hour or more likely until the end of the day. But I met my friend Louis the other day and he had about like I had, and I saw his screen. He had about 30 blobs on his screen. And I was like, who are all they? And he's like, those I shared my location with those 30 people all the time. And I really? thought, wow, that's yeah, I thought that was a bit weird. I think you only do it with, you know, your very close friends and other halves. Or no one. Here's the thing. I knew exactly where Will was. And same as I knew exactly where you were, Jeff, because of Foursquare. And so when you choose to share your location, which for both of you and myself is is a lot of the time, then I kind of know where you are. But that's fuzzy. It's kind of fuzzy. And I get a bit of choice over whether I'm going to update that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I accept that. And that's because last month I was having a phase of checking in on Swarm a lot and the last couple of weeks I haven't bothered. I'm just like, I can't be bothered anymore. I only have people on Swarm that I've met in real life. It's not like Twitter where I'll follow people I don't know. Even Facebook, to some degree, I've kind of friended people that Mm. I've only met once or are friends for friends. We're Swarm and literally I have to have met you. David, so do you do find friends with, with anyone on the Apple app? No. Have you never considered, have you ever tried it, never considered it? I think I probably did just to test it out, say, hey, what's all this about? Not even with your wife, not, not even with your lovely other half? No, no. I mean, I've, we, we've both got in an emergency, you know, find my iPhone enabled, you know, if, if phones go missing and, and whatnot. But apart from that, it's it's another thing that, you know, you've tried to cut down on the number of things that give you notifications, Jeff. And, you know, it was just another thing that I thought, I don't know what value I'm going to get from this. No one I know is really using it in anger. Jeff is. I find it quite comforting to know where other people whom I love dearly are. I kind of get a... Is that why you wanted to know my location? Because I was too far away to... (laughs) Uh, This is what level five is then. Yeah, level five is love. Love. Anyway, just to summarise, my Blackberry... Will... Is there a level six? <laughs> there's, there's, there should be a level six. We're not going to level six, Jeff. We're never going to level six. Six is where you my, send naked pictures of each other. My BlackBerry. Oh, my Jeff. BlackBerry. <laughs> WhatsApp has discontinued support for my BlackBerry. But I've got till December to decide what to do. And I had a little chat with, um, I think it's one of your friends, Jeff. I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the username. Laupfish? Laupfish? Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, yes. that's that's my German friend who I would have insulted earlier by yeah. saying Will instead of Will. Yeah. No, we had a great little chat on Twitter, and that was okay. along the lines of what I want is a small Android BlackBerry, same size as my Torch, but designed by BlackBerry, not designed by a third party. And they've got till the end of the year to sort it out. We'll see. So you're going to look at one of the other BlackBerry options. You're going to have a look at the DTEC 50 or the Priv or the Passport. Definitely not the DTEC 50. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we've got four months till Christmas. I mean, BlackBerry have got four months to release a decent phone, which they've patently failed to do for the last nine years. Mm. Yeah, good luck with that one. Torch. Torch is good. Torch Mm. is good. Guys, can I just interject? Sorry, how long have we been rolling for? And how long? How much more are we doing? We haven't even finished follow-up. <laughs> Christ, we've got loads left to do. Well, we, we haven't talked about yeah. roaming. Which Let, we... let's, let's not talk about roaming. This episode of Fractulous is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use online invoicing software designed to get you paid faster. 
I've run my own business for over 10 years and I know that getting paid for your work is the most important aspect of any successful business. But it's easy to overlook when you're in the process of actually creating the work. FreshBooks can solve all of this by letting you spend more time creating and less time doing paperwork. FreshBooks customers on average free up two days per month so they can spend more time focusing on the work that they love to do and why they set up their own business in the first place. FreshBooks lets you easily create professional-looking invoices, complete with your own logo, keep track of expenses and how much time you spent on each project. As a small business owner, the time you spend on things is limited, so you need to know you're using it effectively. FreshBooks can tell you that. To try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, go to fraculous.com slash freshbooks and enter fraculous in the how did you hear about us section so that they know that we sent you and to show your support for the show. We have to talk about, you always bump Richard Griffin, Jeff. You never let Richard Griffin have some follow-up. Well, my friend Richard, well, no, he chips in on Twitter. I've put him every week in the notes and you've gone, bump Richard. Let's talk about uh, Mr. Square Wheels. Um, he'll be listening to the podcast right now and we'll have just jumped perked up because we mentioned his name. And let's talk about his Canadian roaming experience. Go. Well, he was on O2, wasn't he? He was on O2 and the package that he was using gave him, uh, I think, for four, four pounds ninety nine a day. Bargain. So he was able to roam in, in Canada, which uh, in the past has been a really expensive place to go to because the predominant telco there, I think Rogers Telecom, never wanted to negotiate good deals because it was, a, as far as I understand, a bit of a monopoly. So it was always one of the most expensive places for, uh, for, for anybody to go to and use their data. Anyway, that's changed recently. Um, and it was included in the O2 um, package, four ninety nine a month. But no tethering. No tethering. But um, yeah, it's still you know, providing you're not wanting to hook up your laptop or your or your tablet, that's fine. With Vodafone, similar sort of thing. I would have paid, I think, five pounds a day. Certainly, in the United States. I don't know about Canada off the top of my head for the yeah. World Data Traveler. I think it's called. But Vodafone does give me tethering, and I get better coverage out of the UK with Vodafone than I do in the UK. Go figure, but it's uh, that is an absolute true fact. Vodafone actually sent me a survey today. They, they did one of those tech surveys where, oh, yeah. how do you rate us from one to nine? And number seven was, anything else to add? And so I wrote a comment that went, yes, you're signing up to World Traveller. Could be a darn sight easier. Could be a little bit Please easier. feel free to call me to discuss. Here's a link to a discussion about it. As yet, they have not rung me. But then Michael, at Do Not Call Me Mike, on Twitter, jumped in and said that he's he's used local sims, and that's something I've never done. I've always wanted to. I've always thought that's the cleverest thing, mm. but I've never actually done it. Have you ever done that, David? Um, no, I haven't, and it's the highest friction way of doing it as well. It is. It's high friction, but I think it's low cost. It can be low cost, and you can get some international sims from the airport, and you can you know kind of pre-buy them over here in the UK. But in some countries, they're actually quite difficult to get hold of. I guess you need the ID or an address. Exactly. So it's certainly not straightforward just to pick up. And also with the bundles that are available now, um, you know, you are paying a little bit of money. It probably, depending upon the length of your trip, works out a little bit more expensive. But you just turn roaming on on your phone and you go. It's a lot less hassle. But in retrospect, I think after my month of throttle data and slow sims i think i would i would definitely try and find a local deal for a month away like you were will i can understand that would make perfect sense 
Are you guys familiar with the um, Matt, uh, what's his name, the uh, Jason Bourne uh, trilogy of, actually there's four of them now, but you know the Matt Damon films, uh, Jason Bourne. In the third one, which was the last mm. one until they just brought out another one. Born again. Born harder. There's a scene where he, where he, Matt Damon turns up, he comes to London and he's at the Eurostar terminal in Waterloo to meet a Guardian journalist. And he just goes to like um, a phone shop and buys a SIM and slams it into his phone and drops it into the, his, his target's pocket and just rings it straight away. And I always wondered w- whether that was actually realistic. Films are notoriously realistic. <laughs> well, I feel like you're being sarcastic. That reminds me, I did buy a SIM. I lived in Amsterdam for a while. I got a local SIM while I was over there. And uh, I had a Dutch telephone number for about a year afterwards. How'd that work out for you? While I was living there, it was it was fine. It was good to have a local number. Uh, do you know what? I think I bought it more for the novelty value. So we've, we're into roaming data fully now. We're into, we're into it. So I'm here's my follow-up on my... My reflections on a month in France. My final data stats. So I originally bought what I thought was 40 gigs worth of data from three. It was going to re-roll over in the middle. Turns out, even though I had 20 gig on a data-only SIM, I could only use 12 of it abroad. So I managed to get a, a lock put on that account. So it doesn't charge me anything. It just stops the data. But it does text you. But it was just annoying when it got to about 11. It said, you've used 90% of your... I was like, I don't think I have. I think I've only used 11 because I was keeping an eye on it. So I only got 24 gig out of that. And I think I used 23.7. And for some <laughs> services, that was the best one. Dropbox, that one really worked well. Could have used the other 16 gig on that. My Tesco SIM, <laughs> that was a true 40 gig. And I used 36 of those 40 gigabytes. So I only had 4 gig left. I was trying to sync at the end your files, David. Now, yeah, yeah. Dropbox, definitely way, way better than OneDrive. Well, when you say it's better, what, it just copes with a limited bandwidth connection better or what? Dropbox kind of does it in chunks of data rather than full files or anything like that. It just literally grabs a bit, grabs a bit, grabs a bit, and then it turns it into a file. So it doesn't matter if you get cut off. It doesn't restart. It just uses what it's got. OneDrive seemed to... I was trying to use the hotel on the way back to download David's files. I'd got about... I think I got about 12 gig of it. There was about 8 gig to go. And it just kept on saying... It would sync about 1, 2, 3 gigs, and it would just restart the whole thing again. Oh, no. And then it was... It would go 100 megabyte, 200 megabyte, 3 megabyte, start again. Yeah, I think I got it to about three or four gigabyte. I left it running overnight. It just never, ever completed. So Dropbox, good. OneDrive needs work. Bad, bad. Lessons learned for next year, then. Lesson learned. And then my actual iPhone, I had 12 gig, which I kind of knew about because I'm on unlimited accounts, and I know that you're only allowed to use 12 gig while you're roaming per month. 8.8 gig on that. So... In total, I use 68.5 gig of my 76 gigs available. But here's another thing. Tesco texted me to say, you have used almost 28 days of data. And it seems that you get that 28 days for the whole year. So when I was getting to the end, I think it said, you've now used all your roaming, all your free roaming allowance for the year. Because they only do it from May to September, I think it is anyway right. they don't do it all year round so yeah it's still not great so next time i think i would definitely investigate some sort of data sim locally 
But you also, David, you picked up something about data roaming was going to increase or data calls, with, yeah. your calls with Vodafone were going to increase. So I got a text message from Vodafone um, and uh, it said on the 16th of October 2016, we're making some changes that are likely to affect the cost of using your phone abroad. I thought, this OK, so bad. This is fair so enough. Fair <laughs> enough. You know, the summer's over. Maybe Vodafone is wanting to uh, make a bit of money back. Based on your previous usage, your bill could rise significantly. I'm thinking... Okay. For example, um, blah, 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 blah. A call from France to the USA, if I'm roaming to France and call the USA, will cost you £2 a minute, was 4.6 pence per minute. Now, that's quite so a big So it's gone from 4.6 pence per minute up to £2 per minute. And I'm like, whoa. And that's also like, that's like five years ago roaming costs. It is. So, um, like you, the first thing I thought was, well, hang on a minute, does this not fall within the uh, the caps on charges that are imposed by the European Commission? Mm. And, it, and it doesn't, because you are not oh, calling really? home. You're calling from one roaming zone to another roaming zone. It's something that mm. Vodafone used to charge only a small amount of money for, and can now charge seemingly what the hell they like. And I've been a in this lot. position when I was at uh, MojoCon in Dublin earlier this year. I was uh, chairing a, a panel with um, someone who was from the United States and I couldn't get hold of him, so I called his USA Mobile. I think that's why Vodafone sent me this text message, because it knows that I'm abroad and I make calls to other people who are abroad, so I'm potentially exposed to this. I mean, at least they sent you a text message beforehand. Completely. Well, and they have to do that. Because this price rise is above the retail price index, um, Technically speaking, I'm allowed to cancel my contract, which I'm not going to do. I'm just going to be thinking twice before I make any double international calls when I'm when I'm roaming. So it's still not perfect. Still not there yet. It's still not there yet. And obviously we're in a post-Brexit Britain when we finally do leave the European Union. Who knows I, what will happen? I hate that word. Sorry, Brexit world. Sorry. Brexit's Brexit, Jeff. Brexit means Brexit. <clears throat> no, it means Brexit. I've, I've actually stopped watching the news, and I when it comes on TV now, I, I just turn away. Well, I don't watch the news anyway, so. So yes, Vodafone, naughty naughty. I should probably get in touch with Vodafone, or you know, to try and find out a little bit more about this because uh, I didn't see anyone, any other press around this at the time. It you know got a bit of interest on twitter but no one else seems to have picked up on the fact that maybe they're just picking on you david they're just they just sent that to you just to wind you up picking on me because they know that i pick on vodafone speaking of which i will be having a rant on vodafone on the telly the show that i work on rip off britain uh, that hits the airways from monday the 16th of september for four weeks stroke five weeks uh 9 15 till 10 a.m on bbc one so just after bbc breakfast Thanks. That uh, that date and time again, please, David, for those that missed it the first time out. BBC One, 9.15 till 10am, Monday to Friday, um, from the 16th of September for four weeks for the recorded show. And then we've got one week of lives, um, where I was up in Liverpool this week doing a thing on speech recognition. This helps us full circle, because as part of your Liverpool filming, what did you do, David, prior to your official filming? Last week, I was in Liverpool. Uh, filming an item for Rip Off Britain live. So, admittedly, it was pre-recorded, but don't worry about that. That's not live. Um, and it was about <laughs> it was about speech recognition. And um, people have this perception that speech recognition in phones, in cars, is generally pretty poor. And my uh, my take on this was actually it's really really good. I use Siri. I've got a speech thing in my in my car, 
and uh, I don't have a single problem with it. And the producers go, well, actually, we're here all the time that people don't like using it and they find it really problematic. So we decided to go to a place in the UK, which was A, very convenient for the BBC to get to, so near to Manchester, Liverpool, and B, also has got people with um, fairly fairly strong accents. Let's face it, the Liverpudlian Scouse accent is uh, is quite a strong deviation from standard English received pronunciation. So we went out on the streets of Liverpool um, and also in uh, in the tour buses and spoke to, uh, I say, people from Liverpool, but also people from the West Indies, people from, um, from uh, Asia, people from all over the shops, but spoke to someone from Norway, funnily enough, um, and got them to tell us their stories of whether they used speech recognition, Siri, Google Now, and so on. Um, And then we tried it with the technology that's available now. And I have to say, even I was surprised at how bloody good Siri was at understanding commands, understanding when they've got words that are out of order uh, from non-English speakers it was seriously impressive. So I don't know exactly when that item's going out. David, presumably with this test, you were using ideal conditions. No, we were not using ideal conditions. The producers wanted us to film people trying to use Siri in locations where background noise would pose a problem. So we filmed in a coffee shop. We filmed on the high street, uh, one of the main streets in Liverpool with lots of buskers there to see what the um what impact background noise had and i have to say it was still it was still pretty much flawless in fact it had more problems understanding me when i was saying hey Steve, do i need an umbrella today it thought i was asking do i need a num brother today whereas you know we, we had people from all over the world asking the same questions and it and it and it worked flawlessly this reminds me of chris finn friend of the show He used to work on Mac Format, and back in the day when Siri first came out with the iPhone 4S, he did a video very early on when their review unit came in. And he's he's Scottish. There are a few various dialects within the future offices. I think they also tried to put on some accents as well. (laughs) And it did incredibly well. I'll dig out the video. Hopefully it's still online. But it was an entertaining video, but it showed, even back then the accents weren't a problem for Siri. But just to bring us full circle, David, while you were in Liverpool, you also did something else. I did a Facebook Live, my first ever Facebook Live. How did that work out for you? Um, I, I, um, I was fairly early on board with Periscope, what, April or so last year. You were, and I, um, you were a big Periscope I was, user. I, I was a big Periscoper right at the beginning. Were you meerkatting as well? Did you meerkat before you Periscoped? Yeah, I downloaded meerkat, but very quickly it became apparent that Meerkat was a dead cat and none of the people who I was engaging with. It had the bus to start until Periscope came out and everyone was clear that basically Twitter was going to slam it in everyone's feed. And I think they also they turned off the ability for Meerkat people to find friends, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. They shut down Meerkat's ability to access the... The social graph. And then I, I kind of lost it with Periscope a little bit. I, w- I will watch, but very rarely do I do I broadcast. But with, with Facebook Live, you know, we, we've talked about Facebook Live, Will. You, you, you re- relayed a story of one of your friends who works at the BBC who was doing a Facebook Live of a Saturday evening television show and got, and got terrific numbers, terrific engagement. So I thought, well, you know what? For the people who I'm friends with on Facebook and and that's something that's different as well with Facebook live it's a broadcast to my friends it's a broadcast to my Facebook 
friends. They know who I am. They know the sort of stuff that I get up to. Is it also available publicly? Because that's the one thing that worries me about stuff now in Facebook is it's becoming a silo. It's like, can you link in and out of it? Or is it just literally it only exists within the walls of Facebook? Certainly my intent was only to broadcast to the people who know me and uh, from the engagement that I got. That was my audience. Obviously, with Periscope, that's a different story, and I'm broadcasting to the world. So, same as I use Twitter and Facebook differently, different audiences, I'm quite happy to use Periscope and Facebook Live differently as well. I didn't see your Facebook Live because I'm not on Facebook. So, in one sentence, David, (laughs) what was your Facebook Live broadcast about? Literally, I was outside the Liver building on the historic waterfront at Liverpool. Uh, The film crew was setting up behind me. We were filming a bit about the speech and voice recognition in... uh, in one of the tour guide's cars and he had a car kit fitted uh, a little while ago uh, no actually it, it came with a car so it was that they were just strapping gopros to it and i was just having a chat about why i was in liverpool what the television show was for about the differences between speech recognition and voice recognition that's a very long one sentence <laughs> um yes i only saw the replay i didn't see it live and for what it's worth, I miss your periscopes, David. So, you know, don't don't give up on those completely. Maybe you've got to use your secret Facebook account to watch David's Facebook lives. I run a blog. I run a, a smartphonecreativity.com and I had all the best intentions when I launched that and put some good little bits of content on there. And I've just been too busy. And I know that if you're going to do something like running a blog and make it successful, however you define success, you really need to commit to it. And it breaks my heart that I've not been able to commit to it properly. And and I really want to, but I just need a bit more time than I've got. There's not enough hours in the day, is there? There really aren't. There aren't enough hours in the day, particularly when you're freelance. There's there's always a list of jobs and things that I need to be doing. And I've got two kids and, and a family and a house that needs a lot of work done to it. I genuinely don't know how you guys manage with having kids. That would not, yeah, I would get nothing done. I think basically you have to get all of your sleep done before you have children. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've never known tired. I've never known tired. Can I now tell my Catherine Parkinson anecdote? End of Fraculous. If your puny human minds can handle more, then follow on Twitter. At sign F R A C K U L O U S or individually. At sign David McClelland D A V I D M C C L E L L A N D. At sign Jeff Tech G E O F F T E C H. At sign Will. Head W I L L H E A D. Email your brains to hello at sign fraculous.com. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I will be watching you. I've got a question for you. Shoot. When you use Siri on an iPhone, is it using the same speech recognition chip slash technology as when you? just hit the dictation button if you want to dictate something, a message instead? Or is Siri doing an extra layer? Siri goes out to the internet and back. What, to translate your, your words better than the built-in dictation? Well, I'm not sure exactly what it's saying as back and forth, but it's not, it's not local. Yeah, it's, there's they're certainly cloud processing there. In terms of what words it thinks you've said, it goes to the cloud, does a bit of processing, and then chucks words back again. Does some munging, comes back. So that was the thing about the always on hasty was 
that just that recognition of that phrase was built into the hardware. Yes. Oh, <laughs> finally it's done it. <laughs> well it's done. Finally, well finally done. brought up Siri. Hey, t- can you name a UK tech podcast that doesn't suck? Beep, beep. <laughs> that should be an ad. It's incredible technology. It's context. I think that's the thing with Siri. And an internet connection. Well, okay, so there's sequential inference which is a term that describes the fact that Siri will listen to what you've just been talking about. Um, and you say, hey, Siri, remind me of this. And if you say that while you're in the middle of a web page or in the middle of a, an app or something, it knows that that's the thing that this refers to. And it's getting much more intelligent with that. I use Siri all the time just for setting little reminders. If I'm running the bath for the kids, I'm not going to lie. I've let that bath overflow a few times because I've got waylaid. But I'll say, hey, Siri, set timer for five minutes. I do it all the time for that, but also increasingly for um, sending text messages. If you want to have a power nap, say, Siri, wake me up in 45 minutes. That's a good one. And I think with iOS 10, as we've touched on, Siri gets even more useful when you can start saying, hey, Siri, send a message to John that I'll be there late using Skype. It's this third-party app integration that I think is going to be a real winner for it. Hey, Siri, call me an Uber. I mean, that's amazing. The one thing I don't like about Siri is I can't find a polite way to get rid of Siri when it appears when you don't want it, other than saying, go away. And it's not a nice thing to say, especially when you've got young kids and you're trying to teach them manners and being polite to people. <laughs> and you say, go away, Siri. And then she'll say, was it something I said? I've tried, not now, Siri. Don't worry. I've tried various polite ways to dismiss Siri. And it appears that only go away, Siri. We'll get rid of them. That's my one complaint. It's not my one complaint. There are many complaints. Hey, send a message to David McClelland. Sorry, just trying it now. What do you want to say to David McClelland? Hello, David. This is me sending you a message. Ready to send it? Send, send, send. I'll send your message. Okay, here we go. And here is a live demo of Siri for anyone who's not used it. We're live texting, kids. We're live texting. <laughs> this doesn't suck, does it? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, here we go. Right, I've, I've got a text. Okay, here we go. Um, hey, Siri, read my messages. You'll need to unlock your iPhone first. Okay. <laughs> Good. Jeff said, David, this is me sending a message. Would you like to reply? Yes, please. Go ahead. Hey, Jeff. This doesn't suck, does it? Ready to send it? Yes, please. Done. Yeah, it's all right, it's all right. So it it spelt Jeff with a J. I'm not happy with that. Oh. <laughs> with a G, Siri. With a with a G. It should have picked out of your contacts, really. <laughs> oh, still some work to do. 